Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. podcast i'm your host mike broadbent joining me once again is my co-host richie schneiderite uh the news finally broke andy arich is out as Rutgers tight end coach because he's accepted the harvard head coaching job if you listen to this podcast this week we've kind of been alluding to that being the likely outcome of things but uh, richie's going to update you on where things stand with the tight end coaching search we're going to talk a little bit about because there's a lot of uh, a lot of threads that pop up on the boards about syracuse given you know the historic rivalry given that Fran Brown's now the head coach there. Richie's got some information that, uh, you know, all might not be, uh, you know, rosy up in northern New York. And we're also going to preview Wisconsin. We're going to talk Rutgers-Wisconsin, big home game tomorrow at noon. Rutgers looking to continue to climb from the hole it put itself in. Wisconsin's currently on a three-game skid in the Big Ten. They're about to play their fourth game in 10 days, see if they can get things right. And uh, we'll give our predictions there. But let's first talk uh, tight end. Uh, well, tight end's coach. Andy Alrich is out, like I said. What are you hearing about this opening? And do you see this as you know a net positive for all parties involved? Yeah, so it's kind of like a win-win scenario, like you just said, for both Rutgers and Alrich. Alrich gets to uh, be the head coach of a program, gets to go back to the Ivies, a place where he's very familiar with um, during his time at Princeton, uh, long tenure at Princeton. Uh, he also played at Princeton... Um, obviously a Princeton alum if uh, with that scenario. So it all makes a lot of sense for him to uh, to make this move. Now, that being said, is it a jump up? I'm going to say no, personally. But it's also not a jump down either. It's like a weird spot. Um, it's it's the Ivy League. So it's like, it's like a thing you can have for life if you're good at it. Look at the previous Harvard head coach. He was there for 30 years until he retired. And it was like, I'm done. So... Uh, it made a lot of sense too because the Princeton AD is, uh, I'm sorry, the Harvard AD is a former deputy AD at Princeton from Albrecht's time there with the Tigers. Um, so she was very familiar with him, and obviously you're not going to convince Bob Sarace to come move over from Princeton to Harvard. So uh, it made a lot of sense to just go with Bob's uh, one of Bob's number two, maybe two A, two B type guys because I think Gleason was also a two A guy there. But whatever, not the point. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's a win win for everyone now. For Rutgers' perspective, I think it's a win because, number one, the tight ends have been pretty bad. I mean, there's no real secret there. Um, they've been bad for a couple yep. years. They haven't really used them. Uh, when they do use them, they're just not super productive. Um, like Johnny Langan, great great player, great athlete, just not a tight end. It's a quarterback playing tight end. There's a, or, mm-hmm. I think He was basically a guy without a position. He was yeah. you know, part of the offense, uh, but made some big plays, but there really yeah. wasn't like a a perfect cookie cutter spot for him in an offense. No. Cause I mean, what he was playing quarterback for two years. Then he was like a running back quarterback for another year. And then he was mm-hmm. like a tight end at one point slash quarterback and then finished off his career as a full-time tight end. It it just personally, I think he should have went linebacker from the get. Cause I think he would have been a hell of a linebacker, but that's just me. Um, regardless, this is a big win for Rutgers because now you get to go out and use the tight ends position to either a upgrade, the coaching styles and development at that position group 
or B, or you just get the best of both worlds if you can find one of those guys out there and have a, a really good recruiter like most programs do. They usually just throw the tight ends coach title on a, a really recruiting shark type guy because honestly, if you think about it, the receiving aspect, you can get the wide receivers coach to help you out. From a blocking aspect, you can get the offensive line coach to help you out. You don't really need to do a whole lot. So it's a, it's an interesting scenario, and there's 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 already a couple names I think uh, we've thrown out there. So I don't know if you want to go over it or not, I guess. Yeah, we can. I mean, just to kind of touch on a few things you said, the tight end position is kind of been a black hole under Shiano 2.0. I mean, it's been that way for a while, but if you look at all the guys they brought in, you know, they brought in Langan early on. He, or he, he was he was actually sorry here under Ash, but they converted him to a tight end. You landed uh, Victor Kanopka, you landed Mike Higgins, you landed mm-hmm. Logan Blake. I know Logan Blake was a freshman last year, but they have literally gotten nothing out of those guys. Their backup tight end last year was a you know sixth year FCS transfer in Sean Bowman, who I actually was pretty high on, but they didn't really use him. I think there's something to be said for Kirk not really utilizing tight ends historically, but when he mm-hmm. has a good one, he uses them. Like when he had, you know, Brevin Span Ford at Minnesota, he used them. So I think yeah. he's just kind of adapting to the talent he has. And let's be honest, we haven't developed tight ends good enough at Rutgers uh, under Shiano 2.0. That's mm-hmm. in some part due to the people who aren't here anymore and in some part due to Andy Arch. Um, I know Arch has been moved around on the line a lot, or, or, or moved around on the offensive staff a lot. But I think this works out best for everybody involved, like you said, because he gets to elevate his job title. Shiano has mm-hmm. another feather in his cap where you can point to his coaching tree. You got another guy, a head coaching job. will make every single position on the staff more valuable and more desirable because he can say, hey, you know, I help my guys get to the next level. I, you know, mm-hmm. our linebackers coach is the DC now. Our Titans coach is now a head coach at one of the most prestigious FCS colleges in the country. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but that being said... You know, I I personally wasn't happy with the tight end production. Uh, you had heard for a while that Arch wasn't the best recruiter. Some stories about guys maybe even not even coming here because they were kind of turned off by the idea of being coached mm-hmm. by Andy Arch. I'm not going to say any names, but uh, the 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 names that you kind of put out there are pretty intriguing. Let's let's talk about some of the the guys on your hot board and, and kind of where they stand in the coaching search. Yeah, so there's intriguing is the right way to put it because um, apparently, according to our board, it's uninspiring. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know really what you kind of expect for a tight ends coach, but I thought some of these names had a, a lot of appeal to them. Um, I'm just going to start from the top. Uh, Steve Shimko makes a lot of sense um, for the fact that he was a quarterback at Rutgers. Um, he has tight ends experience uh, working as a tight ends coach at BC for two years. Uh, before getting elevated to QB's coach, and then recently was the OC. So now he's got offensive coordinator experience to go mm-hmm. along with Boston College or with a uh, tight ends experience at Boston College. Also coached in the NFL uh, with the Seahawks yeah. for a bit. Was a JUCO OC. Coached at Georgia as a graduate assistant back in 2015. Obviously a different Georgia in 2015 than today, but still yep. Georgia. Um, was a recruiting ops guy, and he's really developed some really good tight ends at at Boston College. And Hunter Long, who had I'm looking now. In 2020, he had 57 receptions for 680 and five touchdowns. Trey Barry, the next year, had 21 for 362 and two touchdowns. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I might be wrong, because I don't have the Rutgers stats in front of me. I think those would be the top top. Well, the one definitely, but second one might also be the top receiving tight end on Rutgers this past season. Either one, I guess. They definitely would have been. I think Johnny Langan had less than 200 receiving yards. So, yeah, <laughs> okay, by so default, that, yeah. both of them would have been. Uh, but Hunter Long, I want to... <laughs> 
point to him specifically because he was a guy mm-hmm. who he elevated up to a third round pick. So he left early Impressive. even yeah. Hunter Long. So he was a third round pick for the Dolphins in 21 after he had just a totally breakout season, the, uh, the golden Eagles. Um, so that, that's something I think is super important to look at is how many, you know, if, if you're going to hire a position coach at it from a different school, you want to see the pelts on the wall. You either want to see he's an ace recruiter mm-hmm. and, you know, tight ends coach can <clears throat> help coach or help recruit quarterbacks. They can help recruit wide receivers. They can help recruit other positions other than their own. Yeah. And I want to see that they've actually turned the guys in their rooms into either all conference level players or NFL level talent. Cause let's be honest, you can have an all conference level player who's just undersized for the NFL. He's not going to mm-hmm. make it. So if you have that production, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be an NFL prospect because if you don't have the size, that's just not in the cards, but Hunter Long, he had a bit of both. He turned a guy who was, you know, underperforming a little bit. Uh, I think he had 300 some yards the previous season in 2019 before he was elevated to the tight ends coach. Yeah. But that's stuff you want to see. You want to see development and you want to see production. And he's shown both those things at the tight end uh, coach position. Yeah, mind you, he was a this kid was a two star. He's a nobody, honestly. He yep. was a five point yep. four two star recruit out of high school from New Hampshire. Um, well, I shouldn't say New Hampshire. He was from originally from New Hampshire, but went to Massachusetts Deerfield Academy, which is down the street for BC. And they took him really early over some weird offers like Connecticut, uh, Fordham, Holy Cross, UMass, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. That's not screaming like sexy recruit at all by any means. And yep. obviously, he turned him into something. So it's it's a He's definitely, I think Shimko makes a lot of sense, especially because it's Bill O'Brien just got the head coaching job today. He's probably going to bring in his own OC, I would assume, and his entire yep. staff for the most part. Or he might think. he might call his own place, too. He's yeah, that, the best. that too. So that would make a lot of sense um, from that standpoint. And I just can't see them retaining. I mean, I could see them retaining maybe one or two guys, but Shimko's not on that list of one or two guys. I'd say like a Saban Huggins potentially. But the, the rest of the staff is like, meh. I don't yep. know. It's nothing special, but um, moving on to the next one. And the next one's probably my favorite in the group, I think. Um, it's Kent State co-OC slash inside wide receivers slash tight ends because they had to give him every title just to convince him to leave South Florida. And that's Clay Patterson. He um, just got the job like at Kent State, I want to say 10 days ago, something like that. A little more than 10 days now because I think it was January 27th. Um, but he worked at Shira- under Shiraka for several years at Minnesota. He also technically was an assistant coach alongside Joe Harrison-Miak, who was also, um, I think he was a safeties coach at the time before getting that co-DC spot too um, at Minnesota. And he played another role in developing two very good tight ends in Brevin Span Ford, who's projected as one of the top tight ends in the draft this year. Um, and Co Keeft, who posted, uh, what was it, in 2021, he posted PFF grades of 80 plus in both receiving and run blocking. He knows Kirk's offense. He knows how to coach blocking. He knows how to coach tight ends, obviously. And um, he, he's familiar with Harris Simiak as well. Plus, he also, um, I think he has head coaching experience too, doesn't he? He does somewhere. One of these, uh, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. Some, slap another title on that one. Put tech yeah, that too sounds like around. a school that you make up on your resume just to say you've been a head coach at some point. Yeah, South Harmon Institute of Technology. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, he, and he, he has Big Ten experience. So it all just makes a lot of sense. I think he just screams to me the perfect fit. That being said, he just got literally just left for Kent State like 14 days ago or something like that. So <laughs> you kind of have to convince him again, but it's a big jump up from uh, 
we, we've seen other schools do it too. Like look at the South Alabama head coach. He goes to be an OC at Bama. Now you go from co-OC to now a power five level, a uh, power four level, power four level tight ends coach. I, honestly, I'll even give him some weird title too. You want inside wide receivers? Take them. You can yep. coach Christian Dremel. <laughs> so I, I like him a lot. Who else you got on your list? Um, <clears throat> Tim Brewster. He's an interesting one. Now he, uh, some might remember him as being in the news actually quite a bit this, this past season as he was the tight ends coach for uh, Colorado uh, under Deion Sanders. He was the guy that they bumped off the field to uh, make Pat Shermer go on the field. Uh, once he got that bump off the field, he was kind of like, kind of a little bit of a diss. It's kind of like a like go fuck yourself, buddy. Like I'm done. I'm out. But he was he was with Dion for two years. He was at Jackson State for a year and then followed him to Colorado. He also just got hired at a new spot this offseason. He's the associate head coach slash tight ends coach at Charlotte for Biff Biff Poggy. Poggy? I forget how to pronounce that one. Um, but this is where it gets interesting. Now he's a New Jersey native from Phillipsburg. He's a Big Ten alum who played at uh Illinois. Also, um he coached at Purdue, was the head coach of Minnesota for several years, so Big Ten coaching experience as well. And on top of it all, he's a hell of a recruiter. There's a reason he was on Dion's staff. Um, in his past, just to name some some random recruits that I've never heard of ever in my entire life before, um, Malik Henry, uh, some guy that went to Florida State, five-star quarterback. Um, uh, Vincent Young, some other weird quarterback, never heard of him. Um, Dalvin Cook. Uh, this guy sounds like an average running back, mid. Well, now he is mid. Um, but... but uh, yeah, he was also a top 25 recruiter per rivals uh, just a couple years ago with Florida State. And uh, he also helped produce um, the highest drafted tight end in NFL history named Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, guy seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he sounds all right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can recruit that way, uh, I know it's obviously it's an easier sell to sell like a, a Florida State to kids or a Florida or Texas, but... I mean, it's he's still a hell of a recruiter. He was selling kids in Colorado somehow. I know Dion obviously helps with that, but he uh Big Ten experience, New Jersey native, kind of checks a bunch of boxes. But again, just got hired somewhere else. Um, an intriguing name. Um, I have John McNulty on here because you know third time's a charm. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna work out, but he <laughs> worked alongside Shiano and Kirk. Has NFL ties. Coached NFL tight ends. And also, not to mention, he was just with arguably the greatest coach of college football history, Nick Saban. Um, and we, we know what happens in Saban's rehab. Uh, they always come out, well, for the most part, always come out pretty much better, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it fits the bill like almost perfectly. It's just the fact that he was such a bad OC his last tenure. Um, Big 10 experience, obviously. Uh, coordinator experience, obviously. Maybe not the best, but it's, it's there. Um, and worked alongside Kirk before. So it, it really makes sense there. Um, Tim Salem from Pitt. I don't know if that makes sense. He's a good recruiter. He's very well known for um, drafting and developing, or not drafting, uh, recruiting and developing tight ends. Um, he's had several NFL tight ends in his time at Pitt. Uh, two of them, <laughs> kind of funny. Matt Flanagan was a walk-on at Rutgers, um, and Nakia Griffin-Stewart was a scholarship guy at Rutgers. They both ended up transferring to Pitt. They both ended up in the NFL somehow. They weren't very good Wild. at Rutgers. And he, sound, he found a way to develop. Um, he also landed several New Jersey guys in his tenure there. He was there for nine years. Kenny Pickett. I don't know if you guys know that guy. 
Um, Nick Sounds Patty. Familiar. Nick Patty, a former uh, um, brother of a TKR writer. Um, <laughs> Phil Campbell, former Rutgers commit at one point, somehow flipped to Pitt, which, I, God, I, I hate Ash. Um, <laughs> Carter Warren, uh, Owen Drexel, Jason Collier, and Maurice French. Who I believe is in the NFL now, who also, um, Rucker, I don't think ever offered, but from New Brunswick, which just, again, mind blowing. Um, and he also, uh, developed a 2021 freshman All American in Gavin, uh, Bartholomew. So got a lot of ties to, uh, the Big Ten, a lot of ties to the region, coached at Ohio State, Purdue, Pitt. It all really makes sense there. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, who am I missing? I'm missing one. Uh, the Tim Salem, John McNulty. Oh, Bill Kenny. He's the, I mentioned him last podcast, he's the most intriguing one of the group for the sole fact that he didn't coach this past season whatsoever. He's a little bit older, but he's intriguing for the sole fact that he has Big Ten ties to Shiano, or I'm sorry, Shiano ties from when they were at Penn State together. He was at Penn State from 88 to 1999, which is hell of a, I'm sorry, 88 to 2011. It's a hell of a run and rotate it between offensive line coach to tight ends coach to offensive tackles coach to recruiting coordinator. He, he did it all. Um, and then wasn't retained by Bill O'Brien, who we just mentioned before, um, went to Western Michigan coached under flood or on flood, uh, coach under Fleck wrong, wrong, uh, Rutgers guy coach under PJ Fleck and coach under Kirk Sharaka and Kirk Sharaka's offense, where he was the offensive tackles and tight ends coach. So again, another guy that knows Kirk knows his system, knows how it works. knows Shiano coached with Chiano at Penn State, which you don't really see too often. Um, also, uh, there's something else. Oh, Massachusetts native. Now, he hasn't coached in the past season, so that's always an issue. But, hey, you want to get a little bit closer to things, come come back to uh, the Northeast area. Hell, I'll tell you right now, you don't even have to go on the road anymore. I got this guy, Scott Valone, killing it on the trail. So don't even worry about it. Um, so that's it would make sense. I, I think I have two more names. In Eddie Allen, who's uh, Rutgers quality control coach, but that's the only one that I have in-house. I don't think it happens. And then Andrew Dorenzo is a former Rutgers uh, offensive analyst who actually just left for Fordham last year, and he's their tight ends coach currently. Dorenzo is a very popular name in the New York area. His dad was Louis Dorenzo, who spent 28 years coaching New Rochelle High School and coached this guy named Ray Rice. Never heard of him either. Um, yeah, he seems like a good player. I don't know. Just the, the name just sounds like like a running back, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 a name I don't think is going to happen. I think he needs a little more experience before making that jump from Fordham to uh, Rutgers. Um, but we we've seen like stuff kind of like that happen before. Like look at uh, Demir Shaw; he's one, arguably the best recruiter on the staff, and he went from Fordham, but he did go to player development first for a year before getting translated onto uh, on the field role. So. Some interesting names. We'll see what happens. Nothing super, uh, nothing's close to happening, it seems like. Although they did start reaching out to people, I will say that. I know out of this list, at least one of them has had uh, contacts with the staff and everything and has talked about opportunities potentially opening up for him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> if if things track the same way that they previously did under Shiano, where, you know, the first time, you know, his initial staff had a lot of young, unex inexperienced coaches at the college level. And as mm -hmm. he's replaced those individuals, he has replaced them with uh, coaches that have a wealth of experience. Kirk Soraka, Dave Brock, mm -hmm. Pat Flaherty. All those guys are 
you know, multi-decade uh, coaches at their specific positions, whether it be offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach, offensive line coach. If I had to place a bet, I would place a bet on Chiano trying to do the same thing here. So try and find a grizzled veteran tight ends coach, kind of leave the recruiting to the collective staff rather than try and find a shark. If I had to pick one of those guys, Tim Brewster is the guy who I would choose, the NJ native, who is currently at Charlotte. Um, now, it's easier said than done. He's a very popular name. Uh, but that would be my number one choice. We'll see if it actually happens, but, uh, stay tuned because more news will come out of this, uh, in the near future, I'm sure. And like Richie said, there's not really an official timeline. Uh, you you made a face. What's going on completely. Um, No, not breaking news or anything like that. Um, I just forgot one completely. Bobby Bentley. I I didn't even Mm. mention him. I, I kind of really like this one too. He's another guy that just got a job. He's now coaching a, a high school program, battleground Academy down in Tennessee. But Bobby Bentley, for those of you that don't know, <clears throat> was a UCF analyst uh, in 2023. Before that, he was South Florida's wide receivers pass game coordinator um, and South, uh, South Florida's and then South Carolina's tight ends coach. Why is he so notable? Because he's the stepfather of Chase Dodd. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Dodd's on staff. It makes sense. Um, he also coached alongside um, Mark Orphy at South Carolina. And he's the one that gave a recommendation to Shion, or well, I shouldn't say recommendation. It's there's there's a weird thing that happened where he reached out to Orphy when Shiano had an opening on the DB spot and said, "Hey, would you be interested?" So it's a little there's all these coaching circles and it's kind of how these things work. But he's also developed some pretty damn good um, players in general. Not even I'm not even going to just say just tight ends because during his time at South Florida, he had Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr. Both who had very good seasons for Colorado this past season. One of them was the leading receiver for Colorado this season. Um, and in his two years at South Carolina, he uh, developed Kyle Markway, who had 350 yards, and then Nick Muse, who had 430 yards the year after. So uh, both of them have spent time in the NFL. Muse is actually, uh, I think, on the Vikings still. He was a seventh-round pick. So, I mean, again, talent developer, knows the, knows the area well. Former Burns High School head coach, which if you guys remember when Dodd came, that was a big program. Yeah. I don't know if it's still a big program or not, but um, yeah, he spent uh, like 11 years there or something like that. So, Yeah, they had a ton of top-rated talent out of there. They had that kid Lattimore, the running back, who oh, had yeah, that Marshall devastating knee injury. Yeah, Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, um, so right. produced a ton of talent. So he's clearly uh, – he seems like he's a good recruiter and great developer of players. So he'd be another good landing spot uh, here at Rutgers. They, we got they a lot are of... still producing, too, by the way. They have two uh, Power 5 kids right now in the 2025 class, so hear me out. Mm-hmm. And I do want to point this out as well. <clears throat> it's not like Andy Arch was getting paid you know, pennies. He was getting yeah. paid the 30th most uh, in college football at the tight end position for coaching. And you have to put a caveat on that because a lot of these tight end coaches also have other responsibilities, whether that be the ones ahead of him, at least were either offensive coordinator slash tight ends coach mm-hmm. or tight ends clo- coach slash inside receivers coach or tight ends coach slash offensive tackles coach. There's a lot of like weird permutations you could have, but he was a pure tight ends coach. He was getting paid the 30th amount, 30th highest amount. And he was scheduled to make 350 this year. He made 300 in 2023. So we have the money to go get a, a big good. name if we, if we <clears throat> wanted to, and we chose to do that. So the money's think, uh, there, and I do think Shiano will uh, have a lot of coaches' ears on this one. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> actually, one of the names on the list that was ahead of him was also on our list, and that's Tim Brewster, who made 400K yep. last year. I'm assuming 
Charlotte's probably paying him less than that, but that's just a guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is associate head coach too, so I mean that's yep. it's a pretty nice title. So and you probably don't have to do as much. Um, also, you don't have to worry about and about uh Deion Sanders, who's a little crazy on social media at times. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Also, um, also Drew. More to come on this. Gross. Yeah. We don't really have much more uh, regarding the tight end coach. Uh, we will have more as the days and weeks ahead of us come. But uh, I want to talk a little uh, Schadenfreude. We got Syracuse seemingly, uh, you know, the shining light on the hill for the last few months, getting a ton mm-hmm. of press, getting a lot of recruits. Um, but you're hearing from a few <clears throat> people who, you know, were in the know or would be in the know that things aren't quite as rosy as they might seem. Tell us what you're hearing is going on at Syracuse. Yeah, so um, obviously first-time head coach, there's going to be some issues, and I just didn't know if I expect them to go this quickly, but um, it just sounds like there's like a a lot of guys are just all fighting for power, and when you're in the head coaching position, it's really hard to manage everything, so it sounds like he's ex- not micromanaging, he's extremely micromanaging everything. Um, to the point where everything little tiny tidbit has to go through him. And sometimes that works for coaches, especially veteran coaches who are like long long time um, tenured coaches, um, guys that have been around the game for what, 40, 50 years. And and when it comes to the new age of coaches, you're probably going to piss off a lot of them. Back in the day, like you like I shouldn't even say back in the day because I'm I'm only 30, but um, (laughs) back in like back in the original football days, like you were able to yell at kids, you're able to do this, you're able to yell at coaches and, you're the head guy. You're the man in charge. That's not like that anymore. You have to kind of, because there's nothing stopping a guy from just saying, "Screw you, dude!" Like I'm out. Like I'll just go, I'll go over here and just be like a an off the field analyst for a year, and I'll get picked up by someone else next year. So there's so many options too. So uh, it de- definitely just sounds like there's a lot of uh, turmoil going on within Syracuse coaching staff and er- every department within the football program. I should say, not just the coaching staff, but um, they've already lost two recruiters. Um, from the recruiting department recently, um, guys that have just joined within like the past couple months. Um, so it's just, it's not a good look at the moment. Um, we'll see if it ends up being anything. It could be a whole lot of nothing, could be something. But when you're losing coaches that have signed on with you, like after a month or two, and you're there leaving to go somewhere else already, that's that's probably not a good sign. So see what happens. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Fran is trying to just do the, the Greg Schiano uh, impression. And, mm-hmm. you know, if that's not it, who it you are, it's Greg. really, it, it, I mean, it works for Greg because I feel mm-hmm. like that's authentically who he is. Now, yeah. if you think this is how I have to be a head coach, and I obviously he worked under Kirby Smart for two years. He worked under Greg for a handful of years. He's, he worked under Matt Rule. He's worked under a lot of good head coaches. So that's not to say, you know, he's, you know, basing everything off of Greg, but I know that Greg kind of took him under his wing and really started to groom him as a potential Mm -hmm. head coach down the line. Um, So I do think that he learned a lot from Greg. And uh, if if that's just not who you are and you're trying to impose that on people, Mm -hmm. it's just not going to go well. And I don't, I'm not saying that's what's happening because if you are a good recruiter, you're typically pretty authentically yourself. So I don't know. It's uh, I'm taking some joy in hearing all the uh, all the, the bad news that you've been kind of talking about between us off the pod uh, because I think they were just getting a little too, you know, they're getting a little too chirpy on Twitter and on message boards about, you know, how yeah, they're nice. back and, you know, Rutgers is going to, you know, get passed by Syracuse and just like talking a lot of crap <laughs> when they haven't really done 
anything recently and not like we've been you know a you know great program for the last decade either but Syracuse definitely thought that they were back uh, because they're recruiting well because they landed some some high profile coaches they landed some high profile transfers but <clears throat> we've seen how that falls apart we've seen what happened with Miami arguably a better situation better yeah. coach more money they can't mm-hmm. f- figure out how to get it done on the field Texas A&M same thing so just bringing in a ton of transfers and landing a ton of high profile recruits if your culture's not there if the guys aren't there to work you're not really going to do a whole lot so we'll see how things go but I'm, I'm loving hearing all this bad news coming out of uh, Syracuse New York yeah I know everyone gets mad that Shiano's like chop 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 but like that's literally his culture like the culture actually mm-hmm. works and you need to build it up um, now that being said I don't know if it's going to really affect them recruiting wise because like little stuff like that probably won't hurt too much we're losing like a couple of recruiting staffers but we'll see who knows um it's gonna be interesting to see what uh what they do this season and this the rest of this offseason too definitely uh let's switch over to some hoops so as we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show Rutgers has a big time matchup tomorrow afternoon against wisconsin who's reeling they've lost three in a row they started mm-hmm. eight four, 16 and four they were in first place in the Big Ten. Now they're down to 16-8. and eight. They had yeah. fallen, I think, to third or fourth in the Big Ten. This is still a really talented team, but they're they're reeling right now. <clears throat> um, they've, lo- they've, they've lost to uh, Nebraska on the road in overtime. They lost at home to Purdue. Mm-hmm. And most recently, they lost on the road to Michigan on Wednesday night. That's a bad one. We both predicted them to win. Uh, t- talk through a little bit of your reasoning as to why you think Rutgers pulls this one off tomorrow. Um, between the slump that they're having, um, between the fact that it's a home game for Rutgers, between mm-hmm. the fact uh, Wisconsin's what would you say before ten days in four games, four games in ten yeah, days. Yeah, so this will be their fourth game in ten days, <clears throat> and the third of which is on the road. So it'll yeah. be three road games in a ten day period for them. They're, they're also struggling versus the bottom parts of the Big Ten, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost to Penn State earlier, uh, or middle of last month. They lost to Nebraska, who's uh, eh, we saw them recently. Like I didn't think they were anything special. Mm-hmm. Um, Tobinaga is great, but the rest of the team is like whatever. Um, they lost to Purdue, obviously. I think we saw that one coming. Um, but Michigan, I did not see them losing to Michigan. I know we yep. talked about it on the pod earlier this week, saying like, uh, "Hey, maybe like they put up a fight against Michigan, puts up a fight against them, and they're all tired going into this one." But Michigan <laughs> pretty much dogged them, and I mean, that's a yep. bad yep. Michigan team, as we yep. again, as we know, because we just saw it. Um, might have just saved Jawan Howard's job for the rest of this season, maybe. Um, maybe even next. Who knows? Maybe they give him another year. But uh, yeah, I think it's just Rutgers' defense is phenomenal too. On top of it all, um, <clears throat> it's kind of opposite. Whereas Wisconsin's offense is really good. So we'll see what's uh, when push comes to sho- when push comes to shove. What happens? Um, but being a little rack magic, I-, I like to think Rutgers can pull this one off in front of a what is probably expected to be. A, an insane crowd environment. Yeah, it'll be loud in the rack. They finally, I, I think Rutgers fans collectively finally feel that things are going in the right direction from, you know, what happened in the offseason between Cam and, and Paul and Benedongo and Jeremiah Williams being ruled ineligible for the first part of the season. It didn't feel like a whole lot was going in Rutgers' direction. But ever since Jeremiah came back, man, this team looks totally different. We're on a two game winning streak with him. Uh, both of those games came on the road. Um, I, I do 
want to kind of point out how good Wisconsin is as a team. Like, this is not going to be an easy matchup for Rutgers. They have a ton of length. Um, you know, starting uh, shooting guard for them, AJ Store, 6'7", who's their leading scorer. Uh, Taylor, Tyler Wall is 6'9". Uh, Stephen Crowell, 7 feet tall. Max Klesmit is 6'4". Uh, Chucky Hepburn's their smallest starter at, at 6'2", but uh, they... They're not going to be an easy team to beat by any means. They t- typically no. run a three-guard starting lineup. Um, <clears throat> collectively, they're a pretty good three-point shooting team. Um, they have two guys shooting uh, over 40% from beyond the arc. Max Klesmitz, their sniper, he's hitting 42% of his shots beyond the arc at a pretty high volume. I think he's taken almost 100 threes on the season. Um, some things that they're really good at, though, defensive rebounding. They're one of the top defensive rebounding teams in the country. They're one of the top free-throw shooting teams in the country. And they're also one of the top uh, offenses in terms of efficiency in the country as well. Uh, some things they're not great at. They don't block many shots. They don't defend beyond the arc very well. And they play in incredibly slow tempo. They're one of the slowest Power 5 teams, or Power 6 teams, I guess, in basketball uh, in the country in terms of pace. Um so I, I do think that they're also pretty balanced as well. So they're ranked 14th overall on Kempom, and they're only one of 14 teams uh, on Kempom's rankings that are in the top 35 in both adjusted offense and adjusted defense. So they are mm-hmm. pretty good both on offense and defense. They're a better offensive team than defensive team. But this is going to be a game where we're going to need Jacob Young, or not Jacob Young, geez. Uh, we're going to need Michael Davis and Derek Simpson to really – uh, give nightmares to Chucky Hepburn. Uh, he's their primary ball handler. He's the guy who leads the team in assists by a large margin. Uh, he's averaging almost four assists a game. The next highest guy is Stephen Crowell at 2.3. Um, in general, I, I do think this is going to need to be a game that Rutgers needs to make ugly, uh, and that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Uh, but given that Wisconsin's such a good defensive rebounding team, Rutgers is really going to need to and this hasn't been their strength, but be really good in terms of their shot selection. So since they don't get many blocks either, you want to attack the rim. Uh, And, you know, we saw some glimpses of us improving in that the last two games, especially with Jeremiah Williams on the court. So I think you're really going to want to attack the interior on this one, either with Cliff or with uh, Jeremiah Williams. Austin Williams is one of our better uh, guards at attacking the rim. I know he didn't play last week. Have you gotten any update as to what his availability possibly will be for tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, so um, it's still to be determined for him. Um, I was just reading a text, actually. I got back. Um, Yeah, to be determined for him. They're not sure what uh, if he'll be able to go or not. It's kind of a day-by-day basis thing. So if you remember, he suffered an injury that caused him to miss all of last season with uh, FIU, I think it was. I forget what team it was. Yep, it was FIU. Yeah, FIU. So um, I think it was ACL, or he was an ACL and Jeremiah was Achilles, or vice versa. I forget. Yes, which that's correct. Which. Jeremiah had the Achilles. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so it, it's just more like uh, similar to like why Mawat Mag keeps appearing on the availability reports. It's just the fact that they are, sometimes you can't go. Like, it's tough. You got to rebuild all that strength in your knee. Um, so, well, it's kind of a day-by-day thing. Um, if you had to list him as an injured person, you would list him as a day-to-day thing, and then... Come game day, you figure out, hey, can you go, can you not? He'll probably be questionable again on an injury report once again or availability report, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
but you'll probably know beforehand because if he's in sweats on the sidelines and warmups, that's yep. there's there's your sign. He's not playing if that's yep. the case. But we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, no, it'll be a tough game, but one that is certainly winnable for Rutgers, especially if the crowd shows up, which I 100% anticipate them to, like we alluded to earlier in the week. It's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow not tomorrow afternoon. I think it's going to be in the high 50s, if not in the 60s. Uh, so perfect game, uh, perfect weather, even though it's <laughs> being played inside. But there's no reason, you know, we've had a few games that were supposed to be big games this year. I think the Indiana game, we had a, you know, ice yep. storm that night. So that caused a lot of uh, tendons to be... Uh, suppressed, but there's no excuse for tomorrow. It's going to be a perfect day, so get out there, be loud, and I do think that, uh, I think Rutgers pulls this one off. I predicted 68-62. to 62. I think you predicted a similar score. Um, I think it was 65-62. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is the kind of game that can truly change the complexion of like where things stand moving forward. Um, I think if we win tomorrow, Ooh. it'll be more likely than not that we're in the postseason of some kind. That's not saying NCAA yes. tournament. But the NIT, since they changed their rules this past year, uh, previously all conference, uh, regular season conference winners automatically got bids to the NIT. So let's say, you know, the, the team who won the, uh, I don't know, let's just say whatever crappy conference it is, if and they won the regular season and they didn't win the conference tournament and they didn't make the NCAA tournament, they would automatically get a bid to the NIT. That is no longer mm-hmm. a thing. So they're expecting a lot more bigger uh, conference schools to make the NIT moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Rutgers, that bodes well for them. Uh, I would be surprised if Rutgers does beat Wisconsin and, you know, continues that momentum if they don't get a spot in the NIT, which, you know, you think to yourself, the NIT is not really something I think is a big deal. And sure, it's certainly disappointing to only make the NIT after we've had so much success. We made it last year, obviously. But I think it's important to get some of these guys, especially the young players, you know, pressure-filled, important games. Like, every game Mm -hmm. is important, in air quotes, but it's win-and-go-home matchups, like the Big Ten tournament and the the NIT tournament that will really kind of battle-harden these guys moving into next year when we likely lose a cliff, when we lose an Andre Hyatt. You know, when when we're now relying on, if he's still here, Matt, and I say if, because you never really know in the offseason what's going to happen. Uh, Jeremiah Williams, et cetera, those kind of guys. So the more postseason experience you have, the better. It's never a bad thing to make the postseason. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. I, I I would really like to see them make a postseason tournament this year. Yeah. Uh, I'd be a little floored if they didn't make it after a win like this, if they get the win. If they get um, it, yeah. I mean, you get this win too, momentum-wise. You're going up against Northwestern at home mm-hmm. on next Thursday and then Minnesota away, not that good. Um, Minnesota's can... been... They're, Way better than I thought this year. Weird. Like, they're not the worst team in the Big Ten like they usually are, but they're still, like, in the bottom tier. Um, they have streaks where they go for what? I'm looking now. They have a four-game losing streak recently, and then they had a three-game winning streak to, recently. So it's, like, maybe in four-game because they're playing Iowa on Sunday, so they have a shot there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you can, you can flip this thing completely, flip the script of Rutgers basketball, and it also gives you another Q1 win, which is nice. I know we can't look too far into the quadrant rankings because I don't want to jinx anything, knock on wood, but, I mean, you never know. You never really know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I 
I don't even want to put the NCAA tournament in my mind, but yeah, I, things I are there. <laughs> things are at least moving in the right direction uh, for the, probably maybe arguably the first time all season for Rutgers hoops. So excited to see it! Expect a loud, <clears throat> raucous crowd tomorrow. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to hit on before we head out today? Couple things. Um, I was watching the Waste Management Open. Chris Goddard is in 37th place. He's one under. Um, former Rutgers guy, if some of you might remember. Um, still loves Rutgers, still, uh, still shows up to some events. I think he was at a basketball game this year or last year. I forget, yeah. but he ended up transferring out, um, which I don't blame him for a senior because it's, you want to go play somewhere that's, and he did go to the number one golf school in the country in Oklahoma yeah. for that last year. So <clears throat> I don't blame him. I, I can't blame him one bit, but I think he's sitting at one under still. Um, that's after round one. I think, I don't know what time he tees off today because it's all, messed up because of uh, the suspension yesterday and the delays and all that. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, you could probably look at him on the ESPN Plus, I believe it's on. Um, you can go check that out. Second thing, uh, Super Bowls this weekend. A couple Rutgers guys in there. Logan Ryan, Sebastian Joseph Day, Isaiah Pacheco, who's going to win the MVP. I'm telling you, it's my prediction. He's going to win the MVP. First running back since uh, I said this wrong last week, and I'm probably going to say that. I don't know why. I'm, I keep thinking Terrell Willis. Terrell Davis. It's, not, it's Terrell Davis. I don't know why yep. I keep saying Willis for some reason. Um, but he's going to be the first running back MVP of the Super Bowl since Terrell Davis. Mark it down. It's going to happen. It, it's almost impossible, probably, but you never know. <laughs> um, they always just, it's here. Here's a quarterback. And if it's not a quarterback, hey, let's give it to Mr. Swift. I, I'm sorry, not Swift. Uh, Mr. Kelsey. Um, yep. Yeah, I can't wait to watch her on my TV every every time a big play happens. Oh, look. What's her reaction? Like, what the fuck? Um, she's ruined football. I hate her. Um, oh, come on. She was in, I just, they showed her for like 27 just, seconds last know, game. It's it's, just it gets overhyped. It's, I, I hate it, though. Like, it's just, it drives me nuts. And the Swifties are just ridiculous. Like The NFL's loving it, though. They've gotten a new yeah. market there. Every game is now, mm-hmm. like, I think I would be willing to bet that this, and this happens most years, but this is going to be the most watched sporting event probably oh, yeah. in u.s history so uh, i wouldn't argue but um last but not least riot squad has super bowl boxes it's their fundraiser so if you do want to get a super bowl box i'll put the links down below there's a ten dollar box there's only a couple of those left and then there's a good amount of the fifty dollar boxes i'll be honest i'm in the fifty dollar pool um so i need you guys to buy up the rest so i we can get this <laughs> pool going um but yeah now uh if you are interested uh, you can contact Tyler Levy, who's uh, one of the Riot Squad members, at 917-881-6889. I think I can put that out there, considering he put it out there. So, um, Or message any of the Riot Squad social media accounts on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I think it's RU underscore Riot Squad. Um, and the, the links are uh, – maybe I won't post the links below. If you need the link, you can also reach out to me, and I'll, I'll forward you where to go and what to do and all that good stuff. But uh, – yeah, so if you need Super Bowl boxes, it's a good fundraiser for um, the Riot Squad. They travel to games. You saw about like 25 to 30 of them at the Maryland game yeah. uh, recently. So it's always cool. It's always cool to help them and support Rutgers students. So you want to do that, uh, I'll point you in the right direction. That's all I got. Yeah, absolutely. Go Chiefs. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last thing is we're still running the uh, the Gnome contest. Oh, if yeah, you want to win the Rutgers Gnome, you have to either leave a comment on this YouTube video, or you have to give us a review on your favorite podcasting app and include something about a gnome. We've been using gnome me as the comment you got to leave. 
but whatever, as long as it mentions a gnome, we're going to include you on the, uh, the, the spin of the, the prize wheel. Yeah. Uh, that will be run. Let's just say we'll run it next week at some point. Uh, so if you're listening to this, we'll run it the, on our last pod next week, whether that be Thursday or Friday. So, uh, got some more giveaways going forward. I'm going to give a little sneak peek here to what their next giveaway is going to be. Look at this bad boy. Ooh, Ooh okay. Is a that a Kyle Manunga card? Interesting. Yeah. A Chrome right. Bauman. Bauman's pretty good creating card company. What's that number um, two? Says his mom likes football more than he does. <laughs> it's a little fun fact on the back. Look at that. You know that. <laughs> is that a number um, to a certain number of card or is no? Just not a... this one. Um, okay. Yeah, just a normal normal trading card, but they're hard to find. It's a it's a tops trading card, uh, Bauman Chrome. I mean, first edition. Um, it's just cool to have Rutgers trading cards now. Like that's that's what it makes nil cool. This type of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Anything else, it's like oh jeez. But yeah, that's the next giveaway. So don't don't worry about that one. Uh, type no me if you want uh, this guy up here. All right. Well, thanks once again to everybody who's listening. Uh, we got a lot of reviews from the gnome contest, which I'm happy about, but also a little surprised by. So if you still want to get involved, you still can until next week. Uh, but for me and Richie, this has been another edition of Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.